0: It's episode 33, here we go I'm already worried that something bad is gonna happen with the audio Yes, that has happened before Where I record about 10 minutes And then I look at the screen and I go Oh shit, nothing recorded Or I do the old playback and it just starts skipping Skipping, skipping And it sounds bad So, let's hope this is one take And it goes smoothly Already I spilled my water Whoops But I battle back I will keep that focus right now. If I can keep the focus for a little while. I feel like my mind is just about to go into a different sphere. I really do. I feel like I have so many thoughts that they are way too jumbled. And what I'm going to try to drop into this microphone might sound a little weird. Might get a little wild up in this bitch. But let's just get down to it. This is the first episode that I'm doing as a 37 year old. Is there a more nondescript age? I turned 37 on Saturday night. That's not exactly get everybody to Vegas. We're going big. 37 is like, eh. Yeah. What do you want to do? Go to AW? Get a hot dog? Root Beer Float? Perhaps. Actually, that's not a joke. I went to AW on Saturday for the first time since the early 90s, and nothing has changed. Still delicious. Mini corn dogs, hot dog, flimsy cheeseburger. The greatest root beer on the planet. Fries were not that good. Actually, the meal wasn't that good, but just being back at A&W felt a little special. A little nostalgic. Isn't that what we love? A little nostalgia in life. And then we stepped it up nicely that night. My wife took me out to our favorite restaurant, where we always feel young. Because we are the youngest by about 20 years at Marinjo's. It's been there since 1954. You've probably driven by with the orange awning. And that cool font, Marin Joes. And you walk in and you do not want them to have a table ready. You want them to say 30 minutes, 40 minutes. So you could just say, okay, we will wait at the bar. And it's not just any bar. It's a piano lounge. And you can actually sit at the piano and put your drink on the piano. And listen to the pianist playing some Billy Joel, Elton John, the Beatles. Beautiful. On Saturday, it was this lady we had never seen there before. Usually it's the guy with the white hair and the white goatee. Really friendly. They're all friendly. But got a couple of martinis, olives, and onions, if you need to know. Yeah, olives and onions. Sat at the bar. Couple of sips in. Your shoulders get a little low. You feel a little more loose. And the lady playing the piano was just wonderful. Playing the hits. And in between songs, I feel like we were asking her about piano lessons. Perhaps not for us. Maybe for our daughter one day. Isn't that the key to life, to make sure our daughter's hobbies are at least interesting enough for us? Like, if my daughter became a piano player, that would be wonderful. We'd be having dinner parties. I'd say, honey, play that Nora Jones, dear. Thank you. I'll be a stage parent. Honey, could you sing it in the octave we rehearsed, please? Thank you. Honey, could you please play that Linda Ronstadt song that I heard you rehearsing this afternoon? Thank you. Dear... Please, the Pat Benatar medley that I know you worked so hard for our guests. That sounds creepy. Stage parent. But hopefully if she goes into music, it's something that we like to hear. Or if she goes into sports, it's a sport that I enjoy watching. Although she could take her own path, let's be honest. That's probably the best parenting advice. Yeah, let them do what they want. You still make sure they're informed Make sure they feel safe and valued and then let them find their own identity. Make mistakes, have some successes and failures and hopefully rise to the top and excel on their own volition. You can write that down, by the way. You could rewind and just write that down. It's all off the top of my head. Parenting advice with a guy who's been doing it about 10 months. That's what you tuned in for, right? Speaking of one thing you learn about parenting really quickly is that they're expensive. I know it sounds obvious, but if you want to have another, just double the expenses, right? Are we doing just simple math tonight? Double the expenses? Double the humans, double the expenses. Yet I still want to retain this job called high school teacher. I know Time Magazine just had an article written about a teacher who says, yeah, I donate blood. I donate plasma just to make ends meet. Make ends meet is an interesting saying because sometimes the ends don't meet. Sometimes the ends aren't even in the same room. One end calls the other end and says, you know something, I might not see you this month. Ends do not always meet and it feels like I'm projecting my own pain but it actually will be more of a catalyst for activism. Here's what I saw last night. My fellow teachers went to a board meeting Nevado Unified School District board meeting. I couldn't make it because I'm a Jewish person and we have Kol Nidre into a day of fasting called Yom Kippur. And I could tell you more about that as I feel guilty for not fasting today. This is the day where we're supposed to fast. And for the first time, maybe in my adult life, I didn't do it. I don't even have a great excuse. I got hungry is not a great excuse on Yom Kippur. Yeah, I got hungry a little early. Yeah, but you didn't atone. You didn't properly understand what we're supposed to do on that day. So I didn't go to the meeting last night, regrettably. I wish I did. But I was able to watch my fellow teachers on YouTube spilling their hearts, opening up their souls for the board member and the superintendent talking about this is a great profession. We all really enjoy it. We love the school. But come on. It's not sustainable to pay us such shit. It's not sustainable to think that you're going to attract quality educators, quality teachers and pay them slop. It's insulting. Every day it's insulting. However, teachers don't teach that way. Good teachers bring enthusiasm to the classroom. They try to keep really high morale. So we have a good community. I work in a great community of a bunch of people who are underpaid and potentially feel undervalued or even worse, maybe see the finish line sooner than they wish it would be. The finish line as in, you know, I have to do a career change. I got to do something else. I'm trying to be a parent, I'm trying to be a homeowner trying to pay bills, trying to keep the lights on. So all of these things, they start to pile up and pile up and pile up. And it's such a shame because I believe, and I think a lot of people believe, not even people who work in schools, not even teachers and educators. I think a lot of people believe you got to pay these people more. And it sounds obvious and it sounds deep, but if you're really trying to train the future generations to be positive contributors to society, if you really want literate kids making decisions in the future. If you want to cultivate an insightful generation of youngsters, you should probably have good teachers in the classroom. Where do you find these good teachers? That's a real question right now. Where do you find them? If you're a young person right now, what would bring you into that profession? I'm wondering, and I'm not going to answer it myself, but if you're coming out to the Bay area, You're interested in the tech boom. I'm going to make an app. I'll be the next Zuckerberg. I'll be the next Steve Jobs. I'll move to Silicon Valley. How many people are moving into San Francisco to teach? There are high schools in San Francisco. How are these teachers even living in San Francisco teaching? I don't know. Seems impossible. How's anybody doing it, right? Perhaps the funds are coming from somewhere else. Or are all these teachers just living in little apartments or in towns that are undesirable and then commuting into the district where they work i don't know but clearly this is something that has to change i don't want to harp on that too much what was i talking about oh yeah yom kippur felt like a guilty jewish man did not fast today however i did go to services i got a sub for the final period and i went to services and i'm sitting there in temple and there was a spiritual leader speaking And they guided us through a meditation. And I realized how much I need meditation. I don't just like it. I don't just want it. I need it. It's like a prescription drug. I need that pill. And all it is is truly focusing on your breathing and understanding that all emotions are passing. Passing through us. So if we're feeling angst, that'll pass. Feeling sadness, that'll pass. Emotional pain, that'll pass. Even happiness, yes, that'll pass. And once you're aware of that, Now nothing is finite, don't grasp onto anything that'll make you suffer, don't try to cling to the things you cannot change, all of these messages are so positive, sadly I forget them every hour. If I could remember all of the great messages that I've heard from spiritual guides and guided meditations and just smart people who understand mindfulness, if I could remember it every second of my life, my life would be better, it'd be easier, but we're not wired that way. We forget so much of the good advice we receive. That's why it was important for me to just have an e-break on the week. Just pull the e-break, stop working. Daughter was at daycare, wife was at work. I had a chance to go to Temple and sit there and really reflect. And you never know what emotions are going to come to the surface. And I realized, shit, I'm drained. And I'm kind of angry lately. Not the bad kind of angry where you take it out on others, but just, you know, family issues type of anger where you go, God damn, how am I related to these people? Think about that for a moment. How many of your family members would you still want in your life? And I don't mean your immediate family, not your spouse, not your kids, but, you know, just relatives. How many of those people, think about aunts, uncles, siblings, cousins, even parents, even parents. How many of these people would you actually choose to have in your life? If you were not blood related, you answer that right now. Just say it out loud as you're listening to the podcast, you know, go ahead and say it 12% and 9% of them, or maybe you're from Pleasantville and you like everybody. So that's good. Uh, But once you start to meditate on something, you have those introspective moments, it helps. And the lady who was guiding us today in temple, not a lot of Judaism, more spiritualistic holistic type of leading the service. But the lady who was leading us, she said, let's express ourselves as people. We have fears. Even the most confident person you ever come across, that person is scared of something. That person is clinging to some fears. And the worst thing you could do is just hold it in. But how many people do we know that just hold it in? They hold it in. They want to look strong. They want to be a pillar. They want to look steady. I'm not phased by my fears. Yes, you are, motherfucker. I guess I didn't need the motherfucker right there. But yes, you are. You are phased by your fears. So what's the antidote? What's the solution? Express it. So damn true. It's so damn true. Simply expressing yourself. Find one person you trust. You don't need a giant circle of friends. Find one person you trust. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your dad, maybe it's your best friend. Tell that person, get brutally honest, strip yourself vulnerable. You know, those moments where you're like, was that an overshare? Did I say too much? I said too much, right? I said too much. The person listening appreciates it because it has a big effect on that person. Whoever you tell your fears to that person, all of a sudden will feel more comfortable to express their fears. And then once you talk about fears, guess what happens? You feel better. I'm not saying they go away, but you feel better you just feel better. You start to sift through it. Maybe you realize how minimal it is. Maybe you realize how to conquer it. Or maybe you realize that there's no way of ever conquering it, so why even try? Just accept it, release any sort of anxiety surrounding it. And I guess that's the fundamental basis of anger, fear. So anybody that gets angry, you know that feeling where you get like that shooting pain, your body goes hot, all of a sudden you can't focus. I mean, true anger, it happens once in a while to everybody. Apparently, that feeling is based in fear. It's what I heard. I'm just telling you what I heard. It's what I heard. All right, in all honesty, I did not expect to go down that path. The bullet points I have written have nothing about fear and teacher salaries and going to temple. My bullet points are Marinjos. Did I talk about Marinjos? Oh, that's the thing I was trying to talk about. At the beginning of this damn thing. Okay, going back to Marinjo's. So you're at the piano lounge. You have a martini. And then about 35, 40 minutes later. And by the way, in the piano lounge, they just have a bucket of crackers and cheese Whiz. Like spreadable Velveeta. I can't describe it. You have to go see it. And the bartenders are so professional. They're fun. They're friendly. They're funny. You don't have to worry that they're going to mess up your drink. You don't have to watch them closely and go, all right, are they measuring everything? Are they getting the ingredients wrong? No, you could say any drink to these fellas with their suspenders and ties, and they will just make the best version of it you've ever had. It is the most reliable dining experience. You don't go to Marin Joe's and say, I hope it's good. You just go to Marin Joe's and say, I know what I'm getting into. And that's why my wife and I went. She knew. We last year went to San Francisco. We tried to be, you know, upscale, urban socialite hipsters. We tried. No, it didn't work. We're getting a little. Too old for that, let's just say. So we kept it close. Took an Uber seven minutes to Marinjo's. And by the time they called our table, the waitress came over. Her name was Pamela, and she's probably 70 years old. And that's the norm in the dining room. There's not a waiter or waitress under 55. These are professionals. These are lifers. They know how to take care of you. It's the greatest hospitality I've ever seen. Marinjo's, they come over to you, and they tell you what you're in the mood for. They go, you're going to have a steak tonight, huh? and for you how about a nice pasta huh you like meatballs they're coming up they're coming your way salad tableside caesar you heard me tableside caesar no don't make that in the kitchen this lady pamela comes out with the eggs and the anchovies and the olive oil and the lettuce and the parmesan and she just starts mixing it right there and she's not even looking at the ingredients with the worcestershire and the salt and the pepper she's looking at us having a full conversation she makes about 50 a night but to us it feels special. To us, it feels like Pamela is really invested in this table Caesar salad. Caesar salad, interestingly, because people get it at Italian restaurants, pretty sure it comes from Mexico. There's your fun fact of the podcast. Pretty sure the Caesar salad comes from Mexico, south of the border, although somehow it became incorporated with Italian food. And after that, we get into the pesto pasta. And after that, the meatballs, and then the steak. Holy shit, was it a feast. And every bite was good. And the service was wonderful. And then she hands me the dessert menu. And you need a dessert on your birthday. I don't care if you hate your birthday or love your birthday. You know damn well you got to make a wish. Blowing out a candle. I don't care how old I am. I still hold on to that one wish. Very superstitious, but you can't tell people your wish. So she's sitting there. She sang to me. Actually, she didn't sing. She actually sang to me the way I would sing to somebody at a restaurant, just humming it. Blow out the candle because I got another table to wait on. I'm in the weeds. And she sits there. Uh, it's cherry pie. My wife hates cherry pie. Apparently, I found that out after I ordered it. And then, boom, I made a wish that I actually think might come true. Why? Because at Marinjo's, sitting in a booth in my nice black collared shirt, I blew out a candle. How funny is that? The little things that we buy into. Then there's the big things we buy into. Like religion. We put our faith into something. And you don't want somebody to break it down like the South Park guys. You know, South Park, they'll make religion look silly. George Carlin, a comedian like that, he makes religion look silly and they make a lot of logical points. They make a lot of rational points. Some people, they'll point out how ridiculous the origins of certain religions are. But all that being said, if you're religious or have a religion or like any aspects of your religion, I think the reason is because you're like, why not? Yeah, why not put my faith into something? What am I just going to live my life going, no, no, this is it. There's no higher power, no higher being. I don't need any answers on who created all of this. It's all science, 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 science. I like the idea of just blowing out a candle and making a wish into the heavens. Here we go. Put out good vibes. Sitting in temple. I'm what you would call a high holiday Jew. This is actually something you can click on the Jewish online dating services. What kind of Jew are you? Reform? Have you reformed it to fit your life? Are you spiritual but not religious? Are you orthodox? Are you conservative? It has all of these options and one of them is high holiday Jew. I clicked it. I'm pretty sure my wife clicked it too. Hi, holiday Jew. Hi, holiday Jew. As Larry David had a great episode about how all the Jews come out and he was scalping tickets. You know, I got front row right by the bema. It's a great view of the cantor. I think you're going to enjoy it. But it's true. The amount of Jewish people that come out for the day of atonement. Ooh, a day of fasting. It makes sense to me. And these are not people that denounce their religion for the rest of the year. These are just people that go, all right, you know, it's part of my tradition. This is how I was raised. Used to get bored in synagogue. It's part of it. Being bored is part of it. No one should resist that aspect of religion. You should be bored at some point. It's not going to great America. It's not supposed to be Disneyland. It's supposed to be so boring. And then if you get anything out of it, boom, you could take that home and hopefully it stays with you and feels good all over your soul. You just get to smear it into your soul this time of year. All right. Was I done with Joes? Turns out this is just one big advertisement for Joes. It's my first sponsor. So get on down and happy hour starts at 5. Actually, I don't think there's a happy hour. Every hour is happy hour. And guess what? The Marinjo's special salad that used to come with that lump crab? No more. Pamela, our waitress, said, We're not doing crab anymore. The fisherman who used to come in with the crab? He has shitty crab now. His crab quality has diminished. No more crab. You want the bay shrimp? We said No. Hit that table-side Caesar, Pamela. Hit it. All right, here's something to talk about, and I know I've talked about it before, but award shows, now bug me. Believe it or not, award shows should be fun, right? Should be some laughs. Should be some nice entertainment. They bug me, and I know why. I can explain it right now. Tell me if you can relate to this. You see the build-up in each category, right? You see the build-up as the presenters are reading all of the nominees. And the camera goes around to all of the nominees. I was watching the Emmys, I think two nights ago. I only made it through eight minutes before I had a legitimate channel change or maybe a TV off. You ever hate a show so much you just need to turn it off so you could just stare at a black screen for three seconds to decompress? I think that's how annoying the Emmys seemed to me. And I like Colin Joes to Michael Shea. Of course I like them. They were the hosts, although I did not hear any good things about how they did. Plus, there's so many shows that I'm not watching. You know, the Emmys used to be about CBS, ABC, NBC, maybe Fox. So most people knew the actors, knew the shows. Now with Hulu and Netflix and all the streaming, nonsense. How old am I? Streaming nonsense. But with all this shit, I don't know any of the shows anymore. Okay, that's not true. I do know Barry. So Barry is a comedy about an assassin played by Bill Hader. And then he has an acting coach played by Henry Winkler. And I like Henry Winkler a lot. The Fonz we're talking about. So that was nominated. Uh, Barry, it's an okay show, I guess. Who's really believing that Bill Hader's an assassin? Who's writing a script where Bill Hader is the cool assassin and gets the girl in the end? Sorry, he just seems goofy. But Henry Winkler, he's wonderful. You should listen to him on Pete Holmes' podcast. It was so good. It's like one of the greatest podcast interviews I've ever heard. It's hyperbole. I know I sound like I'm exaggerating, but it truly is. He's so warm. He's just awesome. Great person, Henry Winkler. And he won. But here's what's annoying the actors or actresses who pretend they're so shocked, they're so shocked that if they win, they get to the podium and they look stunned, deer in headlights, and their acceptance speeches are so awful, just full of, um, whoa, oh boy, where did this come from? You're that stunned? Honestly, this is like 80% of acceptance speeches at these stupid award shows. People come to the podium, disbelief, so surprised. The worst example was Bill Hader, but another actress by the name of Regina King, who's in a Netflix show, I think, called Seven Seconds. Maybe it's a movie, but they are two examples. This is why I turned it off so quickly. Bill Hader clearly knew where he was going that night. He was attending the Emmys. He got in a limousine. He put on a tuxedo. He was on an award-winning show. And when they call his name, he comes up to the podium. And he acts like he had no clue that was a possibility. His acceptance speech was so bad. It was just, um, I, uh, um, I counted the ums. There were 327,000 ums. Okay, I actually did not count, but it felt that way. Um, um, and I realized, oh, this guy needs a script. And I know he was a great impressionist on Saturday Night Live. He was a pretty good cast member. Let's not go overboard like he was Will Ferrell or something. But he needs a script. He's one of those actors who is dead on his own. It's like Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp's arguably the greatest actor of my generation. What is my generation? Why did I even say that? I don't even understand what that means. But Johnny Depp's awesome. You see him at award shows? He's lost. That just goes to show. He knows what to do with the script. He knows exactly what to do with the script. That's his genius. But none of these people are true geniuses. You know, acting. Aren't most of these people lucky? Aren't there millions of people that can act? It's not such a craft that we should be blown away by. I know I've said that before. I I feel like episode 33. I'm just repeating myself. Is this going downhill? This is the self-deprecating part of the podcast. Is this podcast starting to reach a point where it's like, you know what? Maybe get some fresh air. As Don Rickles says in Dirty Work. Go in the mountains with a horse and stop bothering people. I might have to just do that. Go into the mountains with my horse and stop bothering people. But Bill Hader saying nothing for about a minute was so weird because he knows there's a possibility he'll win. Why don't you, I don't know, why don't you say something? Why don't you plan something to say? You know, thank some people. I don't even know what he said, but even worse was Regina King. And the only reason I know her is because I think she was Ice Cube's sister in Friday, one of the great comedies ever. And she was good in Friday. Wasn't everybody? Everybody was good in Friday. Chris Tucker was so good, I thought his career would just launch. And now he's just totally unfunny. But Regina King, when she won, I realized that her disbelief, she went through the motions of looking shocked and looking stunned and not knowing what to say. I have nothing to say. Nothing to say. And I realized in that moment... That's acting. That's acting. She's not stunned. She's not shocked in that moment. There's no disbelief. She bought a gown. She had her hair and makeup professionally done. She was sitting in the first three rows. They don't put you in the first three rows unless there's a chance, unless you're nominated for something. And by the time she gets up there, she has nothing to say. Truly deer in headlights, this is just an awful acceptance speech. It doesn't even count as a speech. A speech is when you say something. She didn't say anything. And instead of getting mad, I just went, oh, okay, that's acting. I get it. That's acting. All of these actors who pretend to be shocked, that's exactly what they're doing. They're not shocked. They know that it looks humble. Oh, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to do this scene called I'm Humble at the Awards Show. I auditioned with this exact scene three years ago and I'm going to do it tonight. It's called I'm So Modest that the other nominees are better than me. And scene. Awful. Turn off that damn show. I'm done with you Emmys. Goodbye. Hit the road. All right. Tomorrow night, Junior Seo documentary. Why I'm bringing this up? Um, it's going to be amazing. Of course, it's going to be sad, but my former producer, Alex Padilla, uh, at mighty 1090 San Diego. Hey, the former home of the Padres, but my former producer, he texted me. I was teaching and I felt my pocket buzz. You can't check a text while you're teaching, but between classes, I checked and it said your voice is being used on the ESPN 30 for 30 promo for the junior sayout documentary. And I watched it. He sent me the link. He tweeted it out. And it's true. This is about six, seven years ago, but I was doing a live radio show on the USS Midway. I've talked about this when I was interviewing Jim Beheim, and they were like, yeah, we got to bump Jim Beheim. Nobody cares about Syracuse basketball. The greatest icon in the history of San Diego sports has killed himself. So we shifted. And for some reason, ESPN went with the audio from my show. I say for some reason, because I know a lot of media outlets were breaking the news, but that's truly a time of broadcast journalism where I got to break a story. And I don't want this to sound self-serving. Okay, this is a tragic story. It's an ugly story. But the fact that they used my voice, I was like, yeah, all right, not bad. Kind of intriguing to check out this documentary. And it's how the trailer ends. It's me saying police are responding to gunshots at the residence of Junior Seo," and my co-host saying, oh my goodness. And I was like, oh, that was chilling. It was haunting to hear your voice delivering such awful news. But that's tomorrow, the ESPN 30 for 30 about Junior Seau, in my opinion, the greatest linebacker ever. He carried a full team to a Super Bowl. If you think about that 1994 Super Bowl where the Niners crushed the Chargers, think about how bad that Chargers team is without Seau. I mean, they're okay, I guess, but he was that big of a defensive star where he can lift a team to a Super Bowl and such a big presence in the locker room. He's missed every day. And I know the Chargers moved to L.A. and the Padres are just horseshit, but his lasting legacy must be felt every day down in that city just because he was a wonderful guy. Uh, Theo Vaughn, I have this written. Sometimes I scratch some notes before these podcasts. Theo Vaughn is the next big thing in comedy. He makes me laugh, the type of laughter that makes me feel juvenile sophomoric he makes me feel young it's the kind of laughs where you just feel like a little kid like this is so dumb it's the most outrageously dumb shit i've ever heard a human say his podcast called this past weekend and whenever he's a guest on somebody else's podcast if i'm in a bad mood or if i'm just in a you know dazed and confused mood and i hear little theo vaughn it's not just i smile it's not just a little chuckle it's a laugh attack he's that funny who's that funny I mean, seriously, in the world of comedy, most comics have their moments, right? A lot of comics have decent moments in their specials. He's always funny at all times because he speaks in an unfiltered way and says things that I've never heard a human say before. And it's truly so dumb. I'm dumber for listening and then I almost start talking like him. But Theo Vaughn, I guarantee... He's the next big name in comedy. I think a lot of these Netflix producers are going to start giving him more specials. I think his tours are going to soon going from the club to the arenas. It's just a guess. Uh, And finally, let me get out of here on this. Let me get out of here like anybody cares. Yeah, I'm going to get going. I'm going to make a cup of tea. Yeah, caffeine-free tea, just so uh, I can sleep tonight. By the way, I don't have the kind of insomnia where I have trouble getting to sleep. I get right to sleep and then I have 4.30 a.m. insomnia. Just thoughts. Boom. I wake up. It's the type of wake up where you're not tired. You ever just pop up out of bed and you're like, I'm ready for the day and holy shit, it is not a time to start the day. But finally, I'll get out on this. You're about to hear a song. That's how all the podcasts end with an original composition by Micah Julius and today He became a dad for the first time. So congrats, shout out to his daughter who's officially three hours old out in New York, Lainey Rachel Julius. This one's for you. All right, that's episode 33 in the books. I'll talk to you soon.